Coming to Your Galaxy, November 3rd, 2023. Star Wars, A KOTOR Story, Bastila, Part 2, Identity. This is the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler warning for the Knights of the Old Republic series, Star Wars, The Old Republic, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Let's remind the Jedi what happens when the weak seek to match metal with the Dark Lords of the Sith. Sir, from the surviving officer's reports, Lord Revan has gone down with the ship. He's still alive. Right, Brian, so I read the Star Wars Heresies interpreting the themes, symbols, and philosophies of episodes 1, 2, and 3 by Paul F. MacDonald. Kind of like in 2020, kind of like the summer of 2020, and then um, finished it early 2021. So I was like, mm-hmm. I probably need to take a lot of notes because it's been a while. Um, but today I found out I took two separate instances of notes. Uh, so oh. <laughs> I have like 10 plus pages of notes, honestly. <laughs> uh, that That is amazing. Yeah, you dug into the Old Republic podcast uh, Jedi archives and found your old notes. Um, I really like that. It would be fun to go through and see like if you took different notes or like how much of the notes are the same uh, in taking them. But 10 pages of notes is pretty good because if you just look at the actual like chapter here for Revenge of the Sith, it's only like like 60 pages so that's like one page of notes for every six pages of text so that is pretty good (laughs) oh well thank you so if some people are like well i was gonna give this podcast five stars but then i heard paper rustling noises um Mm. i'm just very analog and i like just writing things out so i can see them rather than like taking notes uh digitally so if you can hear paper rustling that's intentional. It's because I'm reading them. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it is important to take notes, um, especially if you're going to be doing something like reading uh, the Star Wars Heresies section, because there's a lot to go through and discuss, right? We've talked about this now twice and uh, covering the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Um, and we talked a little bit just kind of about the book, The Star Wars Heresies, uh, here by Paul F. MacDonald, and how it kind of, you know, breaks down each of the films by um, kind of like kind of like character, groups of characters. Uh, so here we have, you know, kind of sections on Anakin, Obi-Wan, uh, Padme, of course, and then, you know, like the Jedi Council and kind of the, um, the galaxy at large, so to speak. So uh, this is going to ring in kind of the final chapter uh, quite literally here of our prequel trilogy um, sort of analysis um, in terms of the Star Wars heresies so pretty exciting stuff I think yeah and I mean in your in your free time you do drink the movies and right now you're doing drink the music and I was kind of thinking um, this this book is kind of made up of like three albums you know you have the, mm-hmm. the Phantom mm-hmm. Menace the Attack of the Clones and revenge of the sith and i think like all the albums are great you know not every song by which i mean chapter 
is a hit, but right. I can mm-hmm. uh, see where they're coming from, and there's intention there and follow through. I never read any of these chapters, and I was like, oh, it's sloppy. Um, but mm-hmm. I think today we were discussing, like, my favorite section or album, you know? Like, I think, like, the analysis of um, Revenge of the Sith is my favorite, then followed uh, by The Phantom Menace and then Attack of the Clones, but it's a very literate book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very literate, and... Um... I, I do like kind of that analogy of kind of comparing it to an album, right? Because yeah, because it breaks down kind of each of the each of the films, and then you know kind of each of the sections, like I said. So each one is kind of like its own like track of the story, um, so to speak. If you, um, so that's pretty pretty cool. And yeah, the Revenge of the Sith section is is pretty good. I think if I was going to rank them, maybe we'll talk just about the book kind of as a whole after we finish up our conversation here. I would say that the Revenge of the Sith section is probably my second uh, favorite of the book uh, behind the Phantom yeah. Menace. But uh, yeah, we can kind of talk just just a little bit about kind of the book as a whole almost, um, you know, once we get to the end. And there's a little um, kind of a uh, little uh, after uh, chapter that discusses kind of you know, the, uh, the maker, uh, George Lucas. So maybe we'll, we'll get into that here, uh, once we get through, uh, kind of these different sections of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, the, the first chapter for Revenge of the Sith is the fall. And I think it's such a good quote they had to start it. And if you think about it, like Count Dooku says twice the pride doubled the fall, uh, at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith and like I think he's just I always kind of just thought he was just saying it to taunt Anakin but if you kind of think about it like it kind of applies to the Republic and the Jedi Council too you know it's mm-hmm. kind of a Greek tragedy we see how it progressed from 1, 2, and 3 and um, yeah what what do you think? Yeah I like the I like that quote there to kind of get us started off here. And um, you could even look at it, you know, even more literally, you know, as twice the pride as, um, you know, Count Dooku and Anakin uh, both being prideful and both kind of fall here at the same moment, obviously with uh, Dooku uh, quite literally uh, losing his head here um, in this instant. But obviously that is, you know, pretty much the the kickoff here for Revenge of the Sith and his downward spiral. So I really liked kind of the the literal sense of that quote too. So it was a really great uh, quote to get us started. And then um, there's another quote here kind of at the beginning of the fall section uh, by Joseph Campbell. It says, uh, tragedy is the shattering of the forms and of our attachments to the forms. Um, and I like that too, because that kind of looks as the galaxy as a whole and the way that the Republic is uh, structured, but then um, also uh, into Anakin Skywalker, you know, personally, you know, his his attachment there is really, you know, what is being shattered here um, as we get into his fall. Um, and then it, you know, goes on to talk a little bit in the chapter, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of the kind of the fall of like uh, like biblical falls and how that works. Um, Adam and Eve, you know, eating the forbidden fruit, and uh, thus is a downfall. And then even like um, like symbolically within the film, it kind of points out, uh, which isn't something that I'd ever uh, picked up on, but um, you know, all of our all of our heroes of the story basically falls. So Yoda kind of kind of falls down to a knee on Kashik. You know, Obi Wan falls from that cliffside or Nudapau. Uh, mm-hmm. Padme falls after. Um, I guess her heart is broken. Nah, just kidding. After after uh, she's uh, she's choked there on uh, Mustafar. Uh, R two um, falls on you know Grievous's ship at the beginning of the film, and uh, Mace Window obviously falls out of the window. So there's there's a lot of actual like like physical falling by our heroes in there, um, which kind of can represent the fall as well. 
Yeah. It's it's funny because I don't think it's like I guess it's symbolism, but it's like they're falling literally, <laughs> but literally. also symbolically at the same time. Right. Um <laughs> Yeah. Now yeah. So, now some of that stuff um you you could definitely see. I mean, you know, Yoda falling to his knee is something I think that that was done, you know, for that uh, purpose, right? Uh, symbolically, yeah. um, the R the R two one is that symbolic? I I don't know. Um, I think you can you can find ways to kind of tie anything, right? He, he's kind of falling because it's this fun, you know, ship uh, sequence. But you know, literally like Obi Wan falling there on Utapau from from that cliff, or uh, Yoda, you know, falling to his knee. Um, I think can be uh, symbolic here. So uh, those are kind of the ones that were picked out within this chapter. Yeah, and you kind of just see, like, the fall probably comes about most because Anakin's attachment has grown, like, kind of to obsession, you know? Um, and it's just interesting to kind of, like, I haven't read Faust yet, but I, I plan to in the future, and it would just be kind of fun to, like, kind of see, like, if, uh, like what parallels there are you know with with star wars and the prequel trilogy especially but uh mm -hmm. i kind of liked how it talked about like uh on page 132 such a psychological interpretation yields a universal acknowledgement of the inevitability of death with the birth of modern self-consciousness some 30 or forty thousand years ago uh, came this traumatizing realization which countless myths and stories have provided context for. Like, that's kind of like where a lot of mythologies, legends, and stories, and even looking at Gilgamesh, which is like the oldest um, recovered story that we have today, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's about people trying to rationalize, like, why does death happen, you know? And I kind of talked about the books I, I read, like, about, like, Caitlin Dowdy, uh, uh, who runs the Order of the Good Death, you know, like, From Here to Eternity and Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, um, but it's something we're still grappling with today, and, uh, I mean, the prequel trilogy dealt with it, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure, and you have, um, kind of a lot of a lot of parallels and you know just just in my own you know kind of thinking and the and the way i see things you see a lot of um stories of tragedies of of falls just kind of throughout you know recorded storytelling because those are um those are more like cautionary tale uh types of stories so they're very easy to kind of pass down you know uh, be careful don't do don't do this thing that uh, anakin skywalker did or you will uh fall so i think that um uh, you know the tragedy has a really important place just um you know, kind of in uh, humanity's storytelling, as well as, uh, like I said, kind of this uh, this warning of uh, what could happen. So I think that they're a really integral part of, you know, the society and our, our storytelling uh, mechanisms just as a whole, on a side note. Yeah, I'm so intrigued by, did Star Wars kind of like, what came first, like, for Cassia? Was it the love of mythology or Star Wars, you know, and like... Did mm -hmm. it just kind of, did I just kind of have, like, the childhood where I just was uh, very familiar with uh, Greco-Roman mythology uh, as a kid and um, just kind of saw that, like, the prequel trilogy tapped into it and even more so when I got older or 
did my love of Star Wars kind of help me like appreciate Greco-Roman myth or was it kind of like they kind of caused each other but um I mean I think if we've mentioned a few times that um the Matthew Stover Revenge of the Sith novelization like really transcends a a solid movie and it just kind of gets that heroic tragic tone uh like a tragedy you know and mm-hmm. it kind of says yep. like it's kind of like they're almost like talking about like Hector and Achilles you know and like their tragic demise and it just mythically how like each section is written like the dark like this is how it feels to be Anakin Skywalker um maybe we'll talk about that one day I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah maybe, yeah maybe we'll have to uh, uh do an actual episode on the Revenge of the Sith novel and the Revenge of the Sith novel gets a lot of uh t- time on the page I was gonna say screen time but uh it definitely gets a lot of mentions here in the Revenge of the Sith uh section of the book which is um on one hand great I guess if if you've read the book and you're um willing to kind of expand out um I don't love it in the sense that you know um if we're really talking about the the films and what was presented uh there so I go kind of back and forth on how much I like those sections but the the novel the Matthew Silver's novel gets a lot of a lot of play here in the Revenge of the Sith uh section yeah and like I said um this trilogy it's a it's a tragic story it it it's probably what I can think of today like that kind of in pop culture evokes like Greek mythology theater and opera like in in like the biggest like sense like that most of the public is like pop culture you know like seeing uh mm-hmm. but you you kind of start like in, with a republic and you end with an empire and it's kind of a depressing pattern we we see we kind of have talked about that but i kind of like just reading this introduction it kind of like talked a little bit about like the other chapters we're going to see in this in this book but Maybe I like this book so much because the author has read and liked what I've read and liked. So mm-hmm. maybe that's me being biased, but who knows? Like, yeah, and, and for the for the most part, again, we'll you know kind of talk on the on the book as a whole. It, it does do a good job of. Um, you know, when it's making references to something, like explaining them in a way that you would understand if you're not super familiar with these other stories or, or tomes or, um, you know, aspects of uh, various, you know, world religions and things like that. So it does do a good job uh, there. I mean, obviously, you know, in reading any sort of, um, you know, uh, educational or, um, you know, more... Um, more studious uh look at something the more you know about the subject you know the more you can get out of it i suppose um in a way um if that makes sense so uh, but it does do a good job of um you know just for a general star wars fan to pick this book up um and read it i think that there's a lot to get out of it yeah um yeah because sometimes i'm like am i looking at a puddle too deeply or am i looking at something simplistically that is a masterpiece and i don't know like maybe star wars meets you where you meet it you know but mm-hmm. i i feel we talk and we talk about other things and uh it you know uh 
maybe I'm rationalizing, but should we talk about chapter 20, The Hero? Yeah, let's get into uh, chapter 20, The Hero. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Anakin uh, here in chapter 20. Uh, Anakin also gets uh, a little bit of a, a chapter uh, here at the end as the, as the villain, but we're starting here with The uh, Hero. Um, and I like there's a there's a quote here from Percy Shelley. It says uh, love withers under constraints. And that's kind of the big aspect of the heroic, I guess, uh, journey of Anakin uh, throughout this is really, you know, his love with Padme being under this uh, constraints and uh, seeing that love uh, wither. Um, and into that, then it goes into kind of this um, kind of looking at like the the Buddhist teachings. Um, and there are a couple of different ways to interpret it. But kind of the one that that I landed on here. Um, that I got from the book was that basically you can't save anyone from anything other than yourself, right? Everything else is out of your hands. So all you can control are your own actions. Um, so really it's, you know, kind of analyzing Anakin in that sense, right? Like there wasn't really anything, you know, staying with the Jedi, you know, going with Palpatine over to the dark side. There was nothing that Anakin could do, uh, that was going to save or, um, you know, keep Padme safe. Uh, all he could do was protect her from himself. And, um, ultimately that is the big, flaw then uh within anakin uh that he succumbs to and turning to darth vader throughout the story yeah and we kind of see anakin in revenge of the sith like kind of justify himself and his attachment has grown into an obsession like his forbidden and secret love like I think they do love each other, but, like, love doesn't make you perfect, you know? And we kind of just see how, like, Anakin becomes more obsessed and fearful. And, like, in Attack of the Clones, you can argue, like, Anakin did save Padme a lot, but, like, Padme's never actually in trouble in Revenge of the Sith. The only time she's in danger is when uh, Anakin force chokes her, you know? And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, it reminds me of a, of a Matthew Stover quote. I'm not going to get exactly right. Like when he was kind of doing like a press for uh, the novelization when it came out, like there's love, there's selfless love. And then there's kind of like love where it's not like how you, uh, what you want for the other person but it's kind of like this is how I feel about you this is what I want for you you know and mm -hmm. I just think like Anakin wasn't able to um, love healthily you know whether it's due to the dark side or his background or just uh, Jedi secrecy you know but like uh, when Anakin says he's doing all this for Padme, he's actually just, like, distancing himself from her, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh... Right. We kind of talked about in our episode 188, the the hero's journey of Revenge of the Sith, like, when, An when Padme is talking to Anakin, like, he cuts over her and says, like, no, I promise you this is what I'm gonna do for you. And, it, and like... Padme's like, I don't want that. <laughs> and right. and death, man. Uh, you, you really can't get around death. And um, I guess it kind of highlighted, like, this chapter, like, kind of like Anakin kneels at the grave of his mom and says, like, I won't fail again. And he kind of just transfers that to Padme, you know? And... 
Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, Caitlin Dowdy's books that I mentioned. Like, some people who happen to be rich white men, you know, want to somehow eliminate death, you know? And it's like, isn't that how, like, so many, like, dystopian stories start, you know? Like, but if you think about it, like, death is what gives life meaning. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, George Lucas, um, you know, it's mentioned a couple of times throughout this uh, kind of final chapter of the of the book, your final section of the book, you know, you know, talks about that. And that is kind of the ultimate, um, you know, it's it's like a like a false boon, I guess, almost for for the Sith and trying to to hold on to life because, um, you know, life itself is kind of like the most, you know, objection or. I don't know, like like the most lustful object i guess for people is to is to to keep living to cheat death uh so to speak so um it speaks a lot uh to that as you know this is kind of the ultimate um you know sort of sort of achievement for for the sith in this way to cheat death and um you see anakin sort of you know falling uh down and in, into that side right where he's starting to um kind of idealize you know cheating death to prevent padme um from dying and that's ultimately you know what what uh turns him over to the dark side is that pursuit of this um you know kind of this ultimate rich of the world is to uh to be able to cheat death and then you know that ties in then obviously we get a couple of mentions of faust i, I believe you already mentioned uh faust here but um kind of this uh faustian bargain um there which kind of kind of turns here at the the tail end of this uh chapter 20 the hero um you know kind of that uh that scene there at the opera house where um basically uh, Anakin has, uh, you know, sold his soul, uh, to the devil for the, for the chance to keep Padme alive. But really, um, it's a bargain that was never going to be held up because it's, like you said, it's not possible for Anakin to protect Padme because ultimately he is the one, uh, that ends up taking her life. Yeah. And that's sad, but, uh, even Anakin in his most heroic in Revenge of the Sith, kind of like rewatching uh, the Star Wars episodes for like the the Hero's Journey episodes we're doing, I kind of noticed like with Anakin, like he's kind of like lock on to him R two. It's like he's someone who would like use like GPS assist, you know, when he when he's driving, which I mean I kind of do too, but <laughs> it's kind of like. When Anakin can use technology, he does, and compared with Luke, like, Luke likes to, like, kind of be more natural, uh, use the Force a bit more, uh, mm -hmm. and Anakin can't let go of anyone, whether it's R2, Obi-Wan, or Padme, most especially Padme, but, yeah, maybe, like, once we talk about Re uh, Return of the Jedi, um we can kind of compare them a little bit more, but I think what is a good aspect to look at uh, with Anakin and Return uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, this is a 70s story, like 1970s story, told in the 2000s, but it's a story that George Lucas wanted to tell. Yeah, ultimately, kind of at the end, it was... Um you know the the story at least you know kind of the main uh the main points of the story were um things that he wanted to tell and didn't uh change that um kind of in any uh sense um you know at least you know from the from the research that i've done so it was the story that he um intended to tell but yeah it's it's interesting um you know kind of the prequels as a whole they're you know a 
movies and stories that were told, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s that were based off of stories that were uh, told in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, based on stories that had been told, you know, hundreds of years (laughs) prior um, and kind of the the structuring of them. So it's it's very interesting um, (laughs) kind of... um, I don't know, like the the structure of them, I think is is interesting when you when you step back and you think about it, especially in reading something like this, where it's like, okay, well, those themes came from, you know, the story from the 1800s, but you know, it's building into a story that was told in 1977, but you know, the year now is 1999, and we're telling the story, so um, it's kind of interesting that way if you think about it. Yeah, I think stories have roots and they kind of grow. Uh together like in a in a line or many lines you know but mm-hmm. um, should we talk about the negotiator anakin's bro and the force <laughs> anakin's force bro yeah the negotiator obi-wan kenobi uh again this is uh this is the third uh section of this book this is the third time that obi-wan has gotten like the worst chapter of the book uh totally gets the shaft again i think here in this section um it doesn't really tie obi-wan's character too much um at least i didn't uh get much out of this chapter of the book it talks um you know kind of like um obi-wan's like um i don't know like the way that he's almost feeling the force it talks about like him like selecting the boga that he ends up writing which is something again from matthew stover book it's not something that's in the movie uh so i don't like like i like that that's interesting and i think that the novel is interesting for having that but i don't like within the confines of this book and tying it into the the film uh, revenge of the sith i don't get a lot of that um i did like it did make a a nice tie in comparing uh obi-wan to like the the character of merlin uh who hides arthur away and obviously that's what he's doing with luke at the end of the story but yeah obi-wan i didn't i didn't pull a lot out of uh here in chapter 21 the negotiator i I can see where you're coming from. I think this is the best Obi-Wan chapter, um, but maybe he's just not as interested uh, in Obi-Wan. Maybe he identifies more with Anakin, but yeah. Um, I think like Obi-Wan kind of like when we see him in one, he's kind of like a uh, not as warm, you know, like... He's kind of just like a monk who's been raised, you know, uh, in the Jedi religion, like, his whole life, you know? But we kind of see, like, Kenobi become, like, a little bit more warm and friendly as the series goes on. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is interesting to see, like, in the very first instance, like, the very first, like, scene in... I keep on wanting to say Return of the Sith, but it's Revenge of the Sith, you know? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just see how in sync, like, Anakin and Obi-Wan are. They're, like, flying, like, inches apart, like... And then you just kind of see, like, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, like, just the total destruction of that relationship, fighting on Mustafar. Like, it's like they're fighting themselves, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Right. But, yeah, like... The Disney Plus series Kenobi didn't exist when the author was, you know, writing this section. But um, I think that's, like, the most interesting time period. And, like, I think, like, the Kenobi series had its pros and cons. But I kind of think, like, the Kenobi series is when we saw um, Obi-Wan at 
his most human, you know, kind of like, rather than being the hero of the story, he becomes the mentor, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and becomes the wizened Alec Guinness, you know. Um, like you said, it's like he becomes Merlin. Like, he's not the Arthur Lancelot anymore, and that reminds me a lot of Jolie, too, because, like, Jolie was definitely, like, the the hero of his time, you know? But uh, I think that's kind of like a mythic a mythic conceit. Like, you have your time, and then the next generation comes on. It's like, Luke Skywalker can't just be awesome, you know, forever. Like, the next right. generation mm-hmm. has to rise up, you know? And that's what Obi-Wan did. Yeah, that is what he did. And, I mean, the, the storytelling of Obi-Wan, I think, is, is really interesting, um, throughout the film and you know kind of this section here of the negotiator it basically is just kind of a retelling of the actions um obi-wan takes um i did like or I, it made me kind of kind of stop and and think like the chapter opens up um kind of with the um kind of with that line that you know obi-wan says that you know uh sith lords are our speciality which is which is you know filled with kind of this this um this hubris and uh, cockiness that you don't associate uh, with obi-wan so it's it's kind of out of place and i don't know if that ties into then just kind of the general mindset of the jedi at this time or if it was just you know kind of a kind of a, a writing thing and um and i start stop to think about it and i'm like where does that line even come from what do you mean sith <laughs> uh you know sith lords are your speciality uh you've not ever uh beaten a Sith Lord, so I don't I don't know where this where that line is uh he is killed Darth from. Maul but, but not totally, I guess, according yeah, to Clone yeah, Wars. That's that's true. That's true, I guess. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But um but yeah, I I kind of liked um, you know, kind of that at that analytical bit and it kind of speaks then to um to the mindset of the you know Jedi Council as a whole, especially here, you know, in Revenge of the Sith as the Clone Wars are, you know, starting to come to an end. Um and, you know, maybe some of that brashness uh from Anakin has uh, rubbed off on him. Uh see the uh, the seven wars of the Clone Wars that have or the seven seasons of the Clone Wars that have uh, taken place here before this uh movie, you know, in the timeline gets started. But I thought that, that was that was interesting and kind of an interesting way to to kick off this this chapter. But um yeah, then ultimately ends, you know, with him you know, playing kind of this role of uh, of Merlin. I like that you tied that into to Jolie because that's kind of true. Um, yeah. In, this, in the same sense, except he's, you know, kind of more hiding himself away, I guess, until uh, a time allows for him to come out and, you know, step out of the shadows there on the, the floors of Kashyyyk to, to become a mentor again. But yeah, I like that uh, quite a bit. Yeah, so the next chapter is called Died of Sadness. No, just kidding. It, it's the... <laughs> It's the goddess. It's about uh, Padme. Um, I like how it, it kind of says, like, Padme literally gives birth to the original films, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And even though, like, I kind of wish some things are different in Revenge of the Sith, like, I think, like, a lot of, like, kind of, like, Padme scenes outside of her relationship with Anakin, like, kind of where she does more political stuff, uh, were cut out, you know, because they didn't want a four-hour runtime, which I can understand, but it's nice to know they were there. Like, Padme has the integrity to, like, not go down uh, the dark side path with Anakin, even though, like, she loves him, you know? She says, like, I'm not going down this way, 
you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this this chapter is is very good. Uh, the goddess um, here and speaking about Padme and the way um, you know that it ties into you know different uh, mythologies and stuff like that. Um, the the chapter the chapter itself, and I'm not saying that about the book, is kind of reductionist of Padme, um, which I think is something that happens within the film, um, which we've talked about, you know, kind of in doing our hero's journey analysis and just other discussions we've had throughout kind of the, the course of the podcast here about Padme and that she doesn't really do anything in Revenge of the Sith other than be <laughs> be pregnant and give birth to the twins, right? She doesn't have a lot uh, there. And that's exactly what this book is kind of uh, uh, highlighting on. Um, you know, it uh, makes mention of her having, you know, kind of the Japur snippet uh, necklace um, at the end, which is uh, something I guess that ties into Norse mythology. So Freya, uh, who's like the the goddess of uh, mothers, basically, um, and fertility, um, uh, that was uh, that was a big thing uh, for uh, in Norse mythology to be wearing a necklace um, there as part of uh, uh, fertility. Um, it makes a tie into the Lancelot and Guinevere story where, you know, Lancelot's dreaming of Guinevere's death and then Guinevere uh, does end up dying and then, you know, Lancelot dies shortly thereafter, which I think is uh, kind of a neat parallel when you think about, you know, Padme dying um, and then, you know, Anakin dying and becoming Darth Vader, you know, shortly thereafter. Um, and then obviously kind of the kind of the big one that, that most people kind of associate with Padme here in this third part of the story is uh, kind of her funeral procession and that gown, um, which is really made to, you know, kind of almost mimic, um, you know, Ophelia and drowning there. She's in this blue with her hair uh, kind of up around her face, which, you know, is meant to represent kind of, you know, water coming in and uh, cascading around her. So uh, those were kind of the big key takeaways that I took from uh, this section. It was probably my favorite chapter of uh, the Revenge of the yeah. Sith section, if I'm saying so. I think it's it's one of my favorites. Like, maybe at the end I'll be like, this was my favorite. Uh, but I, basically I like them all. But yeah, like it kind of talks about how, like, Padme's, like, intellectually curious. She's able to, like, kind of be like, what if we're on the wrong side? Like, uh, does the democracy we're fighting for still exist? And, like, uh, she wants to be diplomatic, you know? Uh, but, unfortunately, Padme's life equals, like, the life force of the Republic, you know? Um, so, kind of wish she had more to do, but I think, like, um it is cool to kind of highlight like um kind of like the maternal uh figure in mythologies like and sometimes i think that's like a pregnancy you know like never been pregnant uh but the people i know who have been uh they're like it's great but also like i'm nauseous and feel horrible <laughs> right, all sure. the time but it's great you know and, um, mythologically, like, creating, like, life kind of, like, in your own body, that's really cool, you know? But it, in some ways, it's, like, they're, like, culture and mythology can be, like, mothers do pregnancy, and that's it. And it's, like, oh, let's highlight that. And it's, like, you're on a pedestal. You You give birth, you know, like... You don't need to do anything else that's cool. Like, so, like, I guess that's something, like, I'm kind of finding out, like, myself as a woman. It's, like, uh, sometimes, like, men are, like, you're awesome. You can do this. You don't need anything more. Or, like, don't think about, like, other stuff outside of that. But maybe we'll cut this out. But 
Cassie is just thinking about things and how they are and what she wants. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. Um, and yeah, this, this chapter here does a, a good job of kind of examining the way that, um, you know, Padme as, you know, uh, being pregnant and as you know uh, the mother and giving birth to the twins how that is portrayed within the film um it's not really making any sort of statement as to whether um it's a good portrayal or not um it just kind of is the way that it is portrayed in the film that and there's is, a lot yeah. and there's a lot to kind of gleam from you know the inspirations for that and um Padme as a character um is great and it's fun to kind of see these other uh ties into you know what you know what made the character uh tick at least on screen yeah. So it's a good chapter, and I'll just read this last line I wrote down ominously. Divine Mother's last breath is the Dark Father's first. So I was just being Ooh. dramatic, I guess. No, but... That was ominous. That was ominous. Yeah. And then we have chapter 23, The Elders. Um, in some ways, like, I, th- I kind of wonder if. Some of these chapters, rather than kind of having, like, the same chapter kind of in sections 1, 2, and 3, whether, like, they could have just, like, done, like, movie-specific chapters and then, like, done the looked at the prequel trilogy as a whole, because they kind of have, like, the Jedi Council kind of screwed up in his hypocritical chapter, you know, in, in each of the... <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, each of the <laughs> sections and I was like maybe it gets a little old you know but it's kind of right. like you you see the the council like in their massive tower and and castle like it's a fortress like um and then you kind of see them fall from that you see that fortress shattered and um I guess that's kind of like because we're a KOTOR podcast like the KOTOR and prequel trilogies Jedi Council um while I think they're trying to do good they're just very flawed yeah yeah they are definitely very flawed and um I I definitely agree with you kind of about the the structure of this because this is our third time of getting a Jedi Council uh chapter they're um all pretty similar and uh, I think even in this one it's like you refer to this chapter for uh more on that so um we'll get into that a little bit but I I did there was some stuff that was that was interesting here um I particularly liked and um it wasn't something that I'd really you know, even kind of considered, but uh, the Jedi Council here in the prequel trilogy is almost, uh, you know, represented in sort of the same light as like uh, the Old Testament of the of the Bible, the Christian Bible, um, and then you know, kind of it kicks off into like a, a more New Testament telling of the story here. Once you know, uh, Luke, I guess, is born here as kind of the um, you know the the hero then of the the original trilogy. So I thought that that was kind of interesting. Um, it does talk a lot about um in this section about Qui-Gon uh joining uh you know being one with the force and uh you know talking with the the wills and stuff but like even in this chapter um it says that um you know this stuff was all cut out from the film so you'll have to seek out you know kind of this other supplemental material uh which is true and I like that he had said that but um 
McDonald had been referencing supplemental stuff and stuff that had been cut for like 22 chapters before this. And this is the first time that he kind of acknowledges that this isn't an actual part of the movie. So um, yeah. I might have I might have liked that a little bit earlier or been, you know, we're going to be referencing stuff that you have to look up on behind the scenes stuff or books or, you know, whatever the case was. I just thought it was interesting that it that, you know, it was finally acknowledged that this is an actual part of the movie. Um, so I thought that that was kind of interesting. Um, and I, I liked um here it's um from a short history of myth um there's a, a quote here it says it's it's best to retreat lilo and do nothing until the great powers have overreached themselves um which i thought was really neat because now basically uh, kind of at the end here with uh, yoda and obi-wan are going out into hiding which is the same thing that the sith had had to do uh for a long time so you know quite literally now at this point the jedi and the sith have traded places yeah um the author kind of mentions uh, the Revenge of the Sith novel, and what I liked about that is it kind of shows, like, Yoda represents, like, the Jedi of the last thousand years, and Palpatine represents the Sith of the last thousand years. Um, the mm -hmm. Jedi were stagnant. Like, they weren't curious. Um, they kind of, like were more obsessed with the canon, you know, the rules. And mm -hmm. the Sith kind of adapted. Um, so I, I like that point. And I I do... It, it kind of... Re, this chapter reminded me of how Matthew Stover said, like, his dream Star Wars novel would have been... Uh, it never, it never happened, um, because I think they're trying to keep Plagueis a little bit more mysterious, you know. But mm -hmm. his dream novel was like he wanted to have Qui Gon and Plagueis searching for the same thing, kind of like mm -hmm. how does one transcend death? Um, and Plagueis searches for it, but he never really found it, you know. But Qui-Gon mm -hmm. ended up finding it, like, because uh, Qui-Gon kind of, like, was more selfless, you know, and Plagueis was a little bit more egocentric, but it's so tantalizing to know, like, maybe that was, like, thought of. It would have been cool. Yeah, it would be cool, and I think that that is, um, that would be a really interesting story to tell. It would be interesting to... Um, you know, kind of get that story and get a little bit more of that history. Um, I would imagine that that's probably something we're going to get here kind of at, at some point, maybe dwelling, yeah. you know, digging into a little bit more kind of of that aspect of it. And, you know, obviously, you know, the the Kenobi show, you get the, the little force goes to Qui-Gon there at the end. So certainly, you know, it's on some people's minds uh, too there. But yeah, hopefully, because that would, that would be a really fascinating uh, read and very interesting to read. And I know that people love the, the Plagueis uh, novel. So uh, maybe that's something else I'm going to have to have to revisit. I haven't read it since, you know, back when it came out. So I need to uh, get back into that one and uh, see what I think about that with the, the lens of some more, you know, Star Wars material that we've had since I would have read it the first time. Yeah, and then we have chapter 24, The Clones, and some of these chapters, kind of like about Kenobi and the clones, were kind of written before we got like more material like the Clone Wars and the Rebels cartoons and other shows, but mm -hmm. um, 
in uh, Revenge of the Sith, the clones become a little bit more individualized. Um, and we definitely see that in the Clone Wars cartoon. Like, ev the, the clones just decorate their armor, you know, to, to show their personality, you know. And I like this quote, like, in much of myth, like, their armor is actually who a person is, an outward manifestation of the inner self. And I think that kind of shows, like, they're trying to get more, you know, personality rather than just be like, this is what you need to do. Like, I wonder mm -hmm. if clones have free will, you know? And I think it kind of shows, like, the Jedi, like, they're kind of just ordering, like, literal people around who are designed to follow orders, like... And I'm like, this kind of feels like slavery. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. So I, I'm like, the Jedi shouldn't probably be doing that. Like, And it kind of shows like they lost their way and are ordering clones. I have one question. Um, and then you can give your thoughts on this chapter. But what does Order 66 and the clones conditioning like represent to you? Um... I don't know like um, see I mean I guess it, it I mean it, it means that there was obviously some forethought uh put into uh this war obviously and um I'm just reading uh it's at the rise of the red blade which actually um I'm just kind of getting into it but it actually is is talking about kind of this this war machine piece to it but um I think kind of just if I if I think about it you know just quickly off the top of my head it's it kind of represents you know the forethought of of this war and obviously you know um you know through watching the prequel trilogy you know you learn more and more about who um you know Palpatine is and you know kind of the the preparations that were made made for you know the war but you know it really is indicative of you know that this was this was well thought out um and planned and uh prepared and then um then i guess to to speak just on like the part of the clones then it, it speaks into um what really is free will and how does that relate then to um kind of military structures and things like that so uh those are kind of the two things that i i take away just you know if you, if you ask me that question um just kind of off the top of my head when i think about you know what did order 66 you know, represent and you know especially you get into stuff like the the Clone Wars and, you know, with the Ahsoka and Rex and stuff like that. And, you know, how much, you know, hesitation was there? Was it literally just a, a switch that could be could be flipped on and um, things like that? So I think it's, yeah, speaks to kind of the, you know, the, I don't know, kind of the, the personal choice uh, that you have and, you know, gets into like following orders and stuff like that, which is, you know, where the, you know, stormtroopers, you know, literally got their got their names uh, from there from, you know, World War Two and stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, I read this, like, spring, summer 2020 to, like, um, the start of 2021. So I guess, like, maybe I was kind of, like, thinking about, like, a lot of the real-life discussions that were happening, like, um, especially about police brutality and stuff. And I was kind of, like, mm -hmm. maybe, I mean... Maybe the clones are kind of meant to show, like, conditioning and systems can be flawed and maybe they're bad, you know? And the key is to think for yourself um, and not just have mechanical thinking, like, 
this is how it has been done, uh, so I just have to do it this way, you know, like, and the key is just to do the right thing, even if you have to be outside of the system to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because literally, you know, it's a, it's kind of the push of a button from, you know, the person at the top, it completely changes the way that the, you know, that the clones here in, in this story are, you know, operating and, you know, um, you know, kind of the actions that they're taking. So, yeah, so how much is it, you know, uh, you know, personal choice or, um, you know, freedom to make your own decisions and, you know, freedom of thought versus, you know, what's instilled, uh, within you from, you know, uh, an early age. Um, this, the section kind of does a pretty good job of talking about the clones kind of in that sense, which is really something more we get, um, in Attack of the Clones where you're seeing kind of the, the soldiers there, um, you know, as kids, like, like learning and things. And I think in the section it says, um, there's you know a difference between like education and um intelligence or something like that or i'm misquoting it for sure but indoctrination i think yeah yeah so um yeah so it definitely kind of ties in into a lot of that and where does free will fall into into all of that and you know obviously the the clones were always meant to take place of you know kind of the stormtroopers and in the way that they operated within the world of star wars so i think that the stuff like that is um pretty interesting for sure um the the clones chapter here um you kind of hit on it was one of my big things that I, I took away from it was um yeah you, kind of this theme that you get like in the iliad where the armor is who the person is um and basically that is the same here uh with the clones the clones are our clones because they're wearing their clone armor in you know phase one phase two and then i uh, do get a little bit more um personality and stuff obviously um within the animated series the clone wars but he here as well in revenge of the sith um it talks a lot about matthew stover's um book and kind of the way that he's characterizing the clones within that book which i think is interesting um he also uh says that you know the jedi uh basically already failed when they uh joined the war which really i think was something that probably should have went up in the the chapter before into the elders chapter but uh that's something that gets brought up here um in the clone section um but uh, the one other thing I wanted to hit on here was there is a quote here at the end um, from William Blake. Um, it's a it's a poem, um, and it says, "The Iron Hand crushed the tyrant's head and became a tyrant in his stead." Um, so yeah, so if you look at the clones as kind of this, I don't know, like militarized machine, right? They kind of they they came out and they took out uh the tyrant here i guess the separatists kind of kind of in this sense but by doing so they um you know became or at least became like the force of the tyrant um in that action you know as you know the clones started out as an army for you know quote unquote good uh, theoretically and then you know obviously became uh what we know of as like the the stormtroopers and the galactic empire so yeah those are those are great thoughts um so i have to say that the next chapter is probably my least favorite mm. of this this section. Um, the general about General Grievous. <laughs> um, they're like he foreshadows Vader, and it's like I kind of already knew that, but um, <laughs> kind of got that. The chapter about General Grievous is longer than General Grievous is in the movie, I guess. So yeah. there's that. <laughs> it's interesting because like. General Grievous, like, before Revenge of the Sith came out and the Clone Wars cartoons, like, he was, like, a big, scary alien in the Expanded Universe uh, before that. And, like, he kind of became a little bit ridiculous in the Clone Wars. Um, but mm-hmm. he he's someone with, like, multiple origin stories, so I guess you could say 
he is the Joker of the Star Wars universe. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> That's right. Actually, uh, the the Joker gets a bit of a mention in the next chapter. But yeah, Grievous is a is a strange character um, to think about here within the confines of Revenge of the Sith. But then, yeah, the way he's portrayed in the Clone Wars, he's almost like this. I don't know, kind of like this bumbling, you know, <laughs> clown kind of a figure versus, you know, what you got in the, um, like the 2D uh, animated uh, Clone Wars where he's like this, like assassin. crazy, like menacing assassin uh, dealer of death. And I think that it tries to kind of hit on that within within this film, but he's, uh, he basically runs away kind of from the first encounter. And then, you know, he has the four lightsabers. So you're like, Ooh, this guy is serious, but Obi-Wan, you know, dispatches him in about, I don't know, four seconds or something um, in that fight. So I don't know. Grievous is an interesting character. I really love the character design of general Grievous, which is you know uh, something else, a uh, different topic for another cool day. Mask. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's not a lot here. Obviously, yeah, it's uh, kind of an early, early look or a little bit of foreshadowing of what Anakin's going to become, you know, more machine now than man. Um, I did like that they kind of um, linked him back to, um, you know, kind of Nosferatu. And he does have that kind of look um, within his eyes. If you look at like the old, like, uh, classic like Nosferatu like like poster of the film or stuff there where he's kind of like hunched over and he's looking back over his shoulder he has kind of that same kind of look so I like that and oh, um, that how he's true. kind of kind of hunched over um uh, I like um, it made the kind of tie that General Grievous kind of sort of represents the galaxy. Um, he's very strong, uh, but fragile kind of um, at the at the same time. And you don't know if it's you don't really know what it is. Kind of the same as, you know, the galaxy. It, you know, it's strong on one hand, but also very fragile kind of um, in this moment during war, you know, and can literally kind of kind of go either way. Um, something that was weird, I thought about this chapter um, maybe it's because there wasn't a lot there's um there's kind of this uh this section where it's talking i don't know it's like zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance or something um which basically which um basically says that uh, machines are not inherently evil but then it also uh includes a quote from william blake that says that machines are inherently evil (laughs) so i don't so i was like oh okay well that's kind of kind of mixed messaging there you gotta see you're gonna have to have to come to your own conclusions there if uh machines are good or bad but yeah obviously general grievous is uh a uh, bit of a look into you know Anakin uh, turning into Darth Vader, and uh, that was that was about it. That was about it. That's funny you mentioned Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. I literally have the copy right next to me. Um, it's it's on my to be read list. But um, I guess I before we move to the Emperor chapter, I do like how it kind of mentions the prequel trilogy. It kind of like. Uh, the machinery in the ships like seem more crafterly like kind of pre-industrial revolution like how they talk mm-hmm. about some of the ships in the prequel trilogy it's like we designed them a little bit like jewelry you know and then you kind of have mm-hmm. like in the original trilogy more mass-produced things um like kind of post-industrial revolution they don't look as nice so i like mm-hmm. that yeah for sure and i mean especially you know kind of here within the prequel trilogy basically all of the things that we're seeing or a lot of the things that we're seeing are coming from Naboo, which is this beautiful place that's, you know, full of uh, artists and things like that. So you have your, you know, Naboo fighters and, you know, the, the Nubian star cruisers and um, even like R2-D2 is, you know, well-crafted and, and beautiful and handmade and, and those kinds of things. And, you know, converse to that, you have things like General Grievous or the battle droids, which are, you know, kind of, kind of white or just like off white and, 
you know, very, very kind of almost, uh, not, not that I think that the battle, um, droid design is not cool, but, you know, very kind of, kind of generic looking and all very the same and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, then we have the, the emperor chapter and kind of reading it. I was like, you know how we did an episode on Skywalker, a family at war, like, I wish there was like a book like Palpatine, how I did it, or something just about Palpatine, <laughs> yeah. how he took over the galaxy, because um, he's just so interesting. Yeah, I would love an autobiography from from Palpatine. That would be amazing. We'll have to yeah. have to get something on in the in the works for that. Yeah, that would be that would be really interesting to kind of to kind of lay it out kind of from uh, Palpatine's like perspective of what he was doing and when he was doing it and why I was doing it like that would be really fascinating to read um I think you know kind of like almost like the like the war documents or something from uh Emperor Palpatine that would be that'd be pretty fascinating but yeah the section is pretty good um you know it talks about the emperor it uh talks you know kind of picks up there in the opera house scene which is where you know we kind of left Anakin you know kind of from the first chapter of this section and um it makes kind of the the visual uh connection there of the the water scene is kind of looking like this you know fertilized egg um which leads you to wonder then if that's meant to represent that uh, Anakin was uh, created in some way uh, by the Sith here, um, birth of these midichlorians or what that's going to mean. And, you know, obviously we get into, you know, kind of the, the cloning aspects of uh, Palpatine himself later into the end of the saga. But but I really liked, never even would have uh, imagined it, but uh, when Palpatine is uh, fighting Yoda there and he has that kind of maniacal laugh, he kind of tied that into uh, kind of the Joker's laugh there within Batman. And, and I like that that a lot i don't know that that was really probably what george lucas was thinking of when he had had the laugh written in there but i think but he was I'm just like you're it. insane like laugh <laughs> <laughs> you're you're an insane person you're an insane person um the last uh kind of thing that i i picked up here kind of in this section it, um mcdonald kind of uh compared um emperor palpatine to uh, midas um and i i kind of i kind of see that and i kind of where see where he's coming from with that um and there's a couple quotes then about uh tyrants and tyrannical leaders and things and that you can't ever win uh because ultimately you end up being isolated which maybe is true but i don't know um and i, th I think that it is true kind of in in the real world but here for palpatine i don't we don't ever like see palpatine like in the state of loneliness or anything like that so while i agree that those those links are kind of there those parallels are kind of there um it doesn't really play out in the same way that like the the mida story does or you know kind of this isolated um incident i guess maybe you could say that when you get to return of the jedi um that being betrayed by darth vader um is kind of you know a highlight of that isolation but you know, Palpatine was already moved on from Vader at that point. He wanted Luke. So, um, so I don't know. I think that those ties are there, but I don't think they ever really come to fruition within, uh, the confines of the Star Wars story. Yeah. I don't really know what, um, uh, Palpatine's like character is. It's kind of just, he's written to be evil, kind of Machiavellian and kind of like the devil. Um, mm -hmm. but I don't know, does the Emperor dream of, like, I don't know, like, having a fulfilling family or personal life? I don't know, you know? Uh, but right. he's definitely yeah. the crown jewel, like, the apotheosis of the Sith philosophy. But uh, I liked how they also kind of made it clear, like, Palpatine's public face is the real mask. It's kind of like Batman Begins, where Rachel, like... 
holds like Bruce's face and it's like this is your real mask like maybe you should have had mm. that scene in in Star Wars at some point but do you think Palpatine thinks he's doing uh the right thing or the best thing for the galaxy or do you think he just knows what he's doing is wrong and doesn't care um I think that he's doing it I don't think he's doing it out of any sort of sense of what is right for the galaxy or the best for the galaxy or even from the stance of you know what he's saying is for you know uh peace in the galaxy I think that he's doing it to accumulate power so he can figure out how to how to live on forever um especially then is you know kind of ties into the the rise of Skywalker and the, the characterization of the emperor there but I don't I don't think he was doing it for um for any reason other than just you know amassing knowledge and wealth and strength in an effort to keep himself alive. I don't think he had uh, really sort of any thoughts beyond that. He probably didn't run a charity in his free time. <laughs> he probably did not, you know, not even for the tax write-offs. Emperor Palpatine doesn't care. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting how Anakin begins this trilogy as a slave and uh, he's freed, but kind of Palpatine becomes his master. So like Anakin kind of, ends as a slave too you know um mm -hmm. but i just have to say i don't believe plagueis or palpatine is anakin's father i believe the force is his dad you know like mm -hmm. it kind of mm -hmm. seems like plagueis and palpatine were doing experiments and then the force is like i need to stop this um so the force struck back by creating anakin to take them down but maybe mm -hmm. i just need to believe that so <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, that could be. That could be. That's possible. Yeah. Any more thoughts on the Emperor? Uh, no, I think that pretty much uh, closes it out for the Emperor. But the Emperor, you know, is, uh, is an important aspect here and obviously is the one that's going to uh, be turning the tide here for poor Anakin as we get into the final chapter of Revenge of the Sith, chapter 27, uh, The Villain. So we're back talking about Anakin, but now we're looking at him through the, uh, through the lens of Darth Vader. Yeah, uh, Mustafar equals hell equals Anakin, and kind of something I, I noticed, like, I can't remember if it was the Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith Hero's Journey episode, but Naboo kind of equals Padme. It's like a, a beautiful green world with, um, you know, like... Uh, thriving democracy uh, and that planet doesn't even have a molten core so it's kind of like I don't know it's like Padme and Anakin are just total opposites yeah absolutely they are they're kind of total opposites um you know both from the the place they were they were born Naboo and Tatooine and the places um you know that uh the Anakin is is going to die here on uh Musfar and the place where he you know uh, basically kills kills Padme uh poor Padme out of um <laughs> breaking her breaking her poor heart um I like it kind of um it kind of ties into that a little bit right it talks about uh, Padme being from Naboo but then you know ultimately perishes on you know kind of this crater uh within um you know that asteroid there was a Polis Massa is that what it's called I can never remember the yeah name of it. um it's an asteroid um <laughs> you know so it's uh so it's um 
you know, so it's, it's kind of that. I think I might have mentioned that maybe in the fall section that, you know, uh, born to this beautiful place and then uh, perishes there. And, you know, same for same for Anakin Skywalker here, obviously, is, uh, uh, you know, perishing on uh, Mustafar, which is meant to represent uh, hell, of course. And um, yeah, couldn't be it couldn't be kind of more more opposite in the in their you know upbringings and then their ultimate uh, demise um and that's that's kind of one of the one of the themes here for the villain section is um it, it talks a lot through the book and um in this section kind of to the the buddhist teachings that uh to grasp something in life is to strangle and kill it and that is literally uh what anakin does here at the end of the film yeah um i like how the book kind of makes the point like it's kind of a buddhist um belief like the person who does something wrong is not just punished because of what they do but by the act itself you know uh mm-hmm. on mustafar we see anakin cry um which kind of shows a little bit of realization of what he did like he started down a path and can't see the way off you know like he made a pact with the devil but now he's also kind of like a, a devil and we definitely see that uh, self-rationalization to Padme on Coruscant and uh, uh, post-Order 66, and he's also definitely rationalizing himself to Obi-Wan on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that Mustafar duel with Obi-Wan, the way he's kind of talking, like, Padme, he, uh, he's like, you will not take her from me! Like, Padme, it's kind of like, Padme is like his possession right there. It's a very narrow kind of Cyclops view of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it definitely is. And it, it kind of goes in a little bit further than to talk about, you know, kind of the other um, aspect of Buddhism. And that is to, uh, you know, the ego, right? To be without ego or to, to have an ego. And that is kind of the ultimate downfall. And obviously here it's the ultimate downfall of uh you know, Anakin Skywalker into Darth Vader is, you know, it's really his own, his own sort of ego, his own desire to have exactly what he wants, um, is going to be kind of the ultimate, uh, downfall of him. And yeah, especially there, you know, right from the point when, you know, Padme, you know, he choked, he forced chokes, uh, Padme, she falls to the ground. Um, and from kind of that point on through the rest of the film until, uh, he turns into Darth Vader, you know, and then he, uh, has that thing where he says Padme no, and, you know, yells and, and rises up very, uh, you know, Frankenstein's monster style. Um, you know, kind of, kind of everything that he says kind of in the rest of that section is him, you know, rationalizing, um, uh, his ego, uh, there towards, uh, towards Padme and, um, you know, his uh, actions there at the end of the film. Yeah. Darth Vader is ego personified. Um, but he's kind of less than human, you know, like, which kind of like brings up the William Blake quote. Uh, when you try to become more, well, I'm paraphrasing here, actually, because he'd be like, William Blake wouldn't be like, so uh, uh, <laughs> when you become more than human, you become less, but yeah so i was paraphrasing not literally quoting um yeah but yeah like maybe you know how like uh, general grievous's ship at the beginning is called the invisible hand mm-hmm. um alan watts who is a profound philosopher who 
probably inspired, you know, like a lot of thinkers like in the 60s and 70s and definitely George Lucas growing up in California, you know, like he described ego is an invisible hand. And I was like, oh, I think that was like kind of a cool detail. They named the ship that, you know, but you can mm -hmm. grasp or hold hands or let go. But the key is to flow, adapt and be open. And um, I'm just scanning my my notes. I'm trying to, you know, summarize. Uh, <laughs> but. Anakin literally kills a youngling who looks like little Annie, you know, and that kind of reminds me of like in KOTOR when you can possibly go down the dark-sided path, like killing Mission, I think it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like that you're killing the childhood innocence, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's looking, you know, kind of in, into that and it's you know, killing, um, you know, obviously it's it, killing the younglings at the, at the Jedi temple, but you know, it's also, you know, killing, you know, what the, what the Jedi were, what the Jedi could potentially become, um, killing your own past almost in a way. Um, and then to, to tie back into what you're saying there about the invisible hand, that is, uh, you know, literally, um, how Anakin is, uh, killing Padme and, you know, goes on as Darth Vader to be kind of kind of weapon of choice, right? As doing that that force choke as uh, an invisible hand um, there as well. So Grasping. yeah, I think it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's kind of this ultimate uh, pursuit of uh, of ego or the downfall of ego. Um, I did like here in the section too. It um it made mention of Osiris, who is uh, buried um, or entombed uh, within like black armor uh, to live for eternity. And that's, uh, kind of the same thing that's happening to Anakin Skywalker here. Um, I don't know if that was, uh, something that was on the mind, uh, back in 1977, but I think it probably definitely was, uh, here in the storytelling for Revenge of the Sith. For sure. And I have to say that, that, um, Disney canonizing Fortress Vader on Mustafar is maybe one of the smartest, uh, aspects that disney added to the star wars canon like it, it fits so well yeah exactly i mean especially if you think about you know kind of this the skywalker saga and the ultimate sort of sort of evil of of that is you know palpatine and the one pulling the strings and the one who's you know keeping keeping vader on a leash then you would want to have vader you know kind of <laughs> there residing in the place where he ultimately fell right so you're going to keep keep him at his uh lowest of of depths so that makes a lot of sense then so yeah um shall we uh cover the afterward the the maker yeah absolutely so that is the kind of conclusion there of the revenge of the sith section here for uh star wars heresies you can go back to some previous episodes if you want the phantom menace and a little bit more kind of background on the book and uh, how the book was structured and then we did uh the attack of the clone section as well but then yeah we get into kind of the uh little little afterward here all about the maker um and i'll start it off here with this quote and it says ultimately i have to tell a story so the story comes first, and I can't really play it to an audience. I mean, the story is what the story is, uh, says George Lucas. So, yeah, then basically this just kind of goes through and it talks, you know, a little bit about George Lucas and kind of kind of who he was and I guess kind of just um, more so, I think, kind of the author's general thoughts on the on the prequels and um, how it played out and the things that, um, you know, the author kind of took out of it. And um, it talks a little bit, you know, it gets into kind of the kind of the 
the backlash almost from from the prequel prequels and um you know kind of kind of rationalizes it in a way and definitely you know you know acknowledges that 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 was an aspect of of the prequels you know you know we love the prequels but you know it's it's inarguable to say that uh, it was not met uh, you know with the best reception uh, from all sides for sure and it it kind of makes note of that and um you know does its best to to kind of you know come to terms with it here in the final section yeah and the after the afterward the maker is is kind of like about about george lucas and the intentions uh and it kind of says like george lucas is a storyteller he might not be people's favorite like screenwriter or director but he started out as an editor in film school uh and like a lot of his uh like short films or films he made like they're kind of more abstract and i think like as an editor he kind of um prioritizes like abstract and the image over like the script and maybe like performance and method acting you know but mm-hmm. star wars is kind of a little bit more as a as a silent movie um i think star wars meets you where you meet it you know and um with the prequel trilogy like lucas didn't have someone else direct it so i think he was more interested uh and involved in uh the prequel trilogy and the fans kind of turned on him and the critics also like uh, but in a way like the prequels were kind of meant to ruin the originals like the galaxy goes to hell in them you know and um i guess like george lucas like and joseph campbell and i mean a few others but we don't need to list all the creative influences you know like cassia has but the George Lucas in my head like means a lot to me and if I ever met George Lucas maybe it would be like meeting God or meeting a a hero or an idol and like that would be disappointing you know but mm-hmm. um, kind of like when I was reading uh, this book like it was Corona like a really isolating time you know and I was kind of deconstructing thinking about a lot and maybe Star Wars has meant too much to me in my life or at like certain points in my life like maybe it's like a little bit like a backup religion myth or philosophy but um kind of like during corona like I think like mental health wise like and psychically like corona injured like a lot of people and like I think like a crutch is something you need like you know when when you need it you know and like maybe when you kind of outgrow it like uh you can and uh like i mean we talk about other things and we have other things going on but um i love episodes one through six i love uh kotor the kotor series and uh i love the last jedi and I think I've kind of made peace uh, with the fact that uh, Star Wars is kind of like Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. You know, like, whether Homer was a real person or not, you know, 
he might have been lots of people. He might have been a man. He might have been a woman. Who knows? Like, it's too long ago. But, like, there are, like, sequels to the Odyssey that are out there. Like, but no one cares about them because, like, uh, they don't think Homer wrote them. You know? So, like, who knows? Like, maybe... Maybe Star Wars doesn't need to be like, this is the Homeric Star Wars, you know? Like, I I think I've made peace, like, it's not just George Lucas behind Star Wars anymore, you know? And there's some random stuff out there, you know, like made uh, pre-Disney sale and post-Disney sale. Um, and there's a lot that Disney has made with skill and intent. And I think, like, we just have to, like, go in the future like seeing what fits you know like maybe Disney is more driven by Disney plus or like profit driven than like what Lucas made but I don't think that's necessarily a hopeless thing like maybe every Star Wars property doesn't have to like you know quote say something it can just be fun and I don't need to love and canonize in my head, like, every Star Wars story, you know? And I like what I like, and I was like, oh, maybe I don't need to see this uh, season of The Mandalorian when it comes out. Maybe I will in the future. But maybe that was just rambling, but I was trying to speak to what, like, uh, kind of rereading this section kind of made me think about. But this book is... So literate and deep. Uh, I love it. And I'm glad we've talked about it. Like, we've talked a lot about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love Star Wars and the prequel trilogy, and this book helps illustrate why. And uh, uh, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that this book is really good in terms of kind of breaking down those stories. And I think that it could be a valuable... Uh, tool um, if you're someone that doesn't care for the prequel trilogy um, I think that this book is would be a really good read for someone who maybe doesn't love it or doesn't understand it as well um, because it really kind of gets into the well you, you can't really ever get into someone's actual mindset but you know it, it kind of you know it, it takes a, a deeper look at you know why these stories were told in the way that they were and I think that that is is really interesting and um, probably something that you know uh, in terms of Star Wars or in terms of most stories that uh, people could get a lot out of instead of you know kind of this uh, quick you know 2023 uh, year that we live in you know quick reaction quick to quick to be judgmental and um you know, just uh, throw things in and this quick kind of turnaround and, you know, fast media cycles and stuff that, that we're living in to look at something a little bit more introspectively and be like, well, um, I didn't love that, but let me take a look at it and see see why or see what they were trying to say or, you know, maybe then you can look at it in a different light. So I think um, from that stance, the, a book like this really is, is invaluable. Um, you know, Cassia, you and I really um, enjoy... Uh, you, uh, storytelling and you know kind of its various forms and things like that um you love to read i uh will read things that you tell me that i have to read for the podcast mostly um i do like to read i do like to read too but um but i really like um you know kind of kind of analyzing the way stories 
were told, have been told, are being told, and how they kind of relate uh, to each other. Um, you know, especially in something like you know the hero with a thousand faces, or um, you know stuff like that, and you know just the the story structures and stuff like that. But yeah, this is a really interesting look, kind of at these stories that um, George Lucas told, and you know it's it's kind of debatable on on how much that story changed. You know, from from the time that he would have originally written it, and you know facing you know kind of the the reception of it and and things like that and how much characters might have changed or might not have changed and and stuff like that and you'll never know the real answer for that and i don't think that that is that important to know uh the real answer to that because these are uh the films that we got um yeah. they were the ones that came out um and you know you have to you have to take that for what it is so um yeah to the, to that end i think that this book was was really good definitely worth a read um like i said if you if you really love the prequels you'll get a lot out of uh this book if you uh don't like the prequels as much but you you know still like star wars maybe you like the the sequel trilogy more than the prequel trilogy maybe you're only like the original trilogy maybe uh maybe you only like uh, star wars resistance you know it reading you know something like this or something analytical about um another part of um this fandom that you're in i think is is really beneficial in in terms of kind of understanding where these stories came from in the first place yeah and i think it's you can either ignore a story you know or you can maybe kind of like try to understand it where it's at you know and i think either of those are healthy you know healthier than kind of just saying this sucks uh let me let me monetize my angry feelings you know i think that's a it's a little bit better to either just be like, oh, this isn't for me and, or, and walk away or just kind of like, I don't know, maybe analyze it from a place of good faith. But yeah, um, all in all, I, I love the Star Wars heresies and uh, I don't know, maybe I push a lot of books uh, on, on people and it's like, this is what I think, you know, <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you were game and wanted to read it and I promise the Star Wars palette is a whole lot easier of a read. Yeah, there you go. That's what we've got uh, coming up next at least uh bookwise here. Um we're going to be talking about the uh the palette of Star Wars for the original trilogy. So, uh going to be getting into uh kind of the hero's journey analysis of the original trilogy and getting into the the Star Wars palette for that one. And if you have any good recommendations for uh sequel trilogy books that are kind of, you know, in the same same vein a little bit more academic uh look at the films, definitely pass those our way because we're interested in uh reading those and uh potentially getting some more stuff to talk about here on the podcast and uh you know, we like looking at these stories a little bit more analytically uh too so stay tuned for that and pass any of that info our way we'd appreciate it all right and may the force be with you the old republic podcast can be found on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts youtube as well as everywhere else that anchor podcasts are distributed subscriptions reviews and shares help us out and if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at Dennis S. Mowers Music.com. 
This episode of the Old Republic podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now.